Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Let's uh, pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We're in the middle of a series on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we spent last week uh, looking at the salutation uh, to the Lord's Prayer, like the beginning of a letter, like, Dear Bob, uh, but our Father in Heaven. And we saw that as a shift in our paradigm for prayer, uh, no longer seeing prayer as something that's corporate, uh, something like dealing with a corporation or with an institution, uh, but seeing it as uh, a family gathering. And then within that family gathering, <coughs> interaction with our Father uh, in a place of love, a place of safety, place of comfort, uh, consolation, uh, organic connection, freedom, vulnerability, all because the Father is there. He is loving. He is compassionate. Uh, he is leading. Uh, so recognizing that context of prayer as something that happens as a family gathered in the presence of a loving father, but also recognizing that that family has a purpose, that family has a mission, that family has an objective, it has a plan, there is a reason for it to be uh, on the earth. Uh, we looked at the image of uh, Abraham as that father figure who was the head of this tribe of people going through uh, taking care of their sheep and moving them from pasture to pasture. Ultimately, as God proclaimed for Abraham, that his name would be, uh, God's name through Abraham would be evident in the whole earth. And so we're part of this great uh, purpose. And so when we look at the family gathering, and what it is, we see that it is all of those things. It is love, affection, and care, uh, relationship, freedom. But there's also some structure there. There's also some purpose there. Uh, the structure of the Lord's Prayer allows us to be the passionate, loving family uh, that we are, gathered in the presence of Father, and to still move forward uh, the business of the family. And so we look at that prayer and say, uh, for the subsequent sort of six sections in the prayer, that we're looking at uh, these elements, each element as an important idea that is something that is part of the agenda of the family gathering, part of what we do together. And I know that, uh, you know, when we would pray, uh, we like it to be spontaneous and we're sort of a charismatic oriented church and we like things to be free and we like them to feel authentic. And there's maybe a tendency for us to resist structure sometime, but we need to see the Lord's Prayer as a trellis. We need to see it as uh, something that is a structure that is actually necessary for the organic, for the life of the plant, uh, for the life of the vine of prayer. Uh, to actually thrive and grow. So we look at this structure not as the prayer itself, uh, the end in itself, but we look at the structure as a thing that allows our prayers to actually take the direction that they need to take. And we see order and we see beauty in it. And so what we're going to do uh, this week 
as we're going to go uh, through the first line, just simply the first line on the rung of this trellis, and say, what is the importance of this? What is the meaning of it? How is it the first rung, the first and important thing uh, for us as we pray? And what we see, as we see often in Hebrew literature, is that where things start is where the why is. It's where the uh, important beginning is. It's the thing that frames the whole rest of the discussion. And so for this, for the Lord's Prayer, this why of hallowed be your name, we're going to see as something that guides the whole rest of prayer as a discussion, as a family meeting uh, with God the Father. Uh, some of you know Anne and I had a four-year period of serving uh, as uh, national leaders uh, with Vineyard Canada. It was a really, really weird scenario. Uh, we were part of kind of a leaderless team of representatives from around the country from four different regions. And we didn't have anybody sort of giving us direction or anybody sort of leading the team or convening it or consistently leading the meetings. So that, of course, made it awkward and made it difficult to do decision making. Uh, in that sort of spiritual family gathering. But what made it really, really difficult was the fact that all of us, uh, all four families coming to the table, uh, were coming uh, with different emphases, with different purposes, with uh, different things that were our loves, that were our passions. Um, we had somebody whose passion was to see that the vineyard uh, return to a place of flourishing of spiritual gifts and equipping and uh, the Holy Spirit moving and the prophetic. And that was an emphasis of one person. We had another person whose emphasis uh, was to see that um, marginalized people be included, that a constant passion and a wonderful passion to see uh, the voices of women and indigenous people and various other marginalized groups uh, speaking into the life of the community. Uh, we had somebody who was really, really passionate that the church just no longer be a thing that's continually becoming irrelevant, that we should be culturally relevant and that on social issues, uh, that we should be a forefront, we should be uh, at, at the head of all kinds of different issues and so constantly constantly bringing the current issues of the day and the current theological cutting edge stuff of the day, wanting us to shift to a more progressive place. And, and I had my own thing. My passion was to see the, the church grow. I had a passion for theological orthodoxy. And all of us, um, those are can, or can be seen as relatively good things, given your perspective. But we didn't have an eye on the one thing that absolutely was meant, I think, to unite us, absolutely meant to, bring, meant to bring us together, and absolutely meant to be a priority above all of those other priorities that would have made them make sense. The end result of us all coming with our different issues and our ideas and our passions and our loves to the table without having a central why to guide us was that they were the most horrific meetings you've ever had in your life. They were terrible. Uh, we would sit there, we would wordsmith uh, a document together with a big screen up in front of us and eight of us sitting on couches or seats or around a boardroom table gathered in various cities at different times around Canada, uh, trying to sort out how to word a theological document that would be a statement to our community and unite everybody around what we believed. And one of us had a passion that it be uh, something that uh, has all of our social values woven into it. So we had a theological statement of faith and somebody was just passionate and we couldn't uh, come to consensus on, on how to do two different documents. So the idea became we should just do one document where we can that contains the values and one that contains uh, the theology 
and just sort of weaves them together. And we came to call that the fusion document. And I promise you, by the end, it had a nickname because it was absolutely the confusion document. It was terrible. It was, I mean, I'm sorry. I hope the people that uh, worked on this with me would, I know, I know you all would feel the same. I know you're not listening to this, but you would feel the same. Uh, there was, there was pain in it and angst in it and frustration in it. Um, and, and it's simply that dynamic of leading one without a leader and leading without a common purpose was a disaster. And very often, our prayer lives are like that as well. Uh, our prayer lives are places of confusion where we have one agenda here and one agenda there, one need here, one need there, uh, one passion here, one passion there. And we try to bring them all together before the throne of God and we end up chasing things in a confusing and frustrating way. I don't know if this has been your experience too, but very often a prayer life of your mind wandering and wondering and, and wrestling with so many different things can often actually uh, end in uh, some frustration and some angst. Um, our prayer for the kingdom to come uh, goes to war with the prayer, give us this day our daily bread, doesn't it? There's tension in some of those things. Uh, our loves and passions uh, become at war with our needs and with our theological convictions, and it can be a mess. And so that is why uh, this prayer that Jesus gives us starts with this very, very simple phrase, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed is not a word that we use anymore. Uh, I don't think you see that uh, on Instagram or Facebook. Nobody is hallowing anything. Uh, it's, it's strange language. We could look at it at first and sort of say, okay, so that means that we should sort of start our prayer life with worship. We should start with praise. And of course, we can never go wrong with that. We can never go wrong with praising God and, and worshiping God. And so in some ways, that, that phrase it can be taken to say, hey, let's just affirm the holiness of God. Let's just affirm the goodness of God. Let's affirm the glory of God before we go on and pray all the other things that we want to pray. But it's a petition along with the others. It's not actually an affirmation. It's a petition. It is us begging and saying, God, in my life and in the word, would your name be hallowed? And that word hallowed means to set apart for a divine purpose. It means to make it obviously different. It means to elevate it, to make it greatly revered, to make it honored above all other things. And so what we're saying when we pray, hallowed be thy name, as a petition, is we're saying we can't actually uh, praise you properly. We can't actually cause there to be a reaction in my heart that hallows you above my other fears and my interests and my worries and my concerns. We need you, God, to help us with that. Lord, help us hallow your name. Lord, help us do that verb of hallowing. Would you cause your name to be hallowed by me? Cause my heart to see you and know who you are. Cause my heart to know the magnificence of you, to know the magnitude of you, to know the glory of you. And when we look at God and we look at his holiness and his magnificence and his power, uh, it is on a scale beyond anything we can imagine. 
If you look at even the universe, if you look at the planets, the stars, uh, this beautiful planet that we're on, the incredibly beautiful people uh, that God has created on it and put on here uh, for us to serve, if we look at all of those, they are all still created things. And so when we hold our interest in those created things and our passion for those created things in one hand and value them, that is good, but we must hold the one who created them up here. We must hold the one who created them at a place infinitely higher than every other passion or interest that we have. Because he is holy whether we hallow him or not. And this prayer is designed to bring our lives in alignment with that truth. When we pray hallowed, separate be your holy name, we're asking him to do something radical inside of us, to do something inside of us, to cause there to be a response inside of us that says, no longer is God an interest among my other interests. He is an interest high above them. He is not just one of our loves. And he is not meant to be uh, just one of the loves that the world experience. The world is to hallow him. And so our prayer is both for ourselves and it's missional. So let's talk about the in ourselves purse, the hallowed be your name in us part. We're asking him with this prayer to help us place him above our secret gods, above the things that our minds fixate on in private, uh, those things that actually receive our adoration. What happens when you separate his name out from among those things? What if you separate his name out from among uh, our ego, the affirmation we get because of our gifts, the affirmation we get because of the success in our career, the affirmation we get from our bosses, the affirmation we get from our friends? What if we set his name above the names of those friends? What if we set his name above the names of the material things that we're interested? What if we set his name infinitely higher above our automobiles, our crafts, our hobbies, our cottages, our comforts, our foods. If you look at my Instagram account and you see how many things there are about barbecue, you see something in me that is a thing that I secretly worship, that I secretly adore, that has my interest, my attention, my focus. What if you separate his name from the names of your failures and your sins? What if you separate uh, his name above your hurts, above your pains? What if you separate his name above the names of those who have wounded you and hurt you and betrayed you and broken you over the years? What if you set his name above those names that we fixate on, that influence us constantly? What if you separate his name uh, from above your friends? Or for me, above ministry? What if we separate his name above OVV's name? Above the church's name? What if I separate his name and place it far above the names of the people in my congregation, the people in my leadership community? 
What does that do for me? It changes me. It makes me new. Because the reality is is that all of those things, all of our secret things that we worship, all of the things that we secretly love, all of the things that we secretly adore, those are actually the things that we become. We become what we worship. And those things begin to take on our identity. Those things begin to shape uh, our, our decisions, those things begin to shape our choices, those things begin to shape our default reactions to things. So if we are constantly fixated on our pains and those who've hurt us and our brokenness, of course we need those things healed. But if they are in our prayers and in our angst and in our fears uh, above or among the, the primacy of God, those things become the things that shape our actions. Those things become the defaults that shape our choices in the world. We become, if it, we become them and not the little Christs or the little representatives or the Christians that we're meant to be. Timothy Keller said it like this. He said, to change people, ourselves especially, most profoundly, we must change what we worship. Ultimately, we are what we adore. We are what captures our imagination and our focus. Our inordinate anger, anxiety, and discouragement results from those disordered loves. Every relational problem results from a disordered love. And our social and cultural problems as well. What he's saying here is that when we wrongly prioritize our loves, we wrongly prioritize our adorations, we actually alter our identity. We actually alter our software, our natural programming. And the reality is this is just simply because we are finite people. We, we can't hold the love of God. We can't hold the glory of God and the beauty of God at the same time as we hold the other interests. We simply are too limited. We simply don't have the capacity to do that. Only God has the capacity to do that. So it is required for us, for you and I, to ruthlessly sometimes prioritize. Uh, you can see this when you think about your smartphone, when you think about your Instagram account. Uh, your phone, as wonderful as it is, is designed uh, to learn your loves and to make them its defaults so that it can put them in front of you again and again and so that you can go back to them again and again and it drives clicks, it drives engagement, it drives connection. That's what the algorithms do for Facebook and Instagram, right? So if you want to know what your loves are, then you look at your Instagram feed or your Facebook feed and you'll see maybe uh, some of you, it is uh, sort of a far right conservatism that is that thing that you are looking for. Uh, there's something in you that's driven to that. There's something in you that wants to take uh, that sense of independence, that sense of strength, that sense of being right and wants that to be that part of your identity. And the more you research, the more you look, the more you investigate in that world, the more and more your social media platforms will feed those things back to you. And ultimately, the tone and flavor of that world will become the tone and flavor of your conversation in the real world. 
That thing that you love when you're just by yourself on the phone will ultimately become the thing that you are. The same is true on the other side. If it's a, a progressive activism or something like that, if it's a social justice thing and you are constantly researching that, seeking that, looking into that, then that thing will become the thing that your phone knows that you're interested in and that you care about. And those things will come up. The algorithm will bring them forward and bring you voices that are speaking those things constantly to you. And those things will become your default. Those things will become your identity. Those things will shape the tone of who you are as a person and the conversations that you ultimately have in the real world. And none of those things that you find on your phone is Jesus. None of those things are things that are ultimate, that are things that are eternal, that are things that are forever. And when we constantly go after our little loves, we constantly go after our little adorations, the people, the relationships, the uh, justice, the issues, uh, the games, the cars, the products, whatever it is, all of those little loves that we constantly adore on our phones, when they become who we are, when they become the things that shape our identity, uh, only chaos and pain uh, can result from that. Only chaos and pain comes from disordered lives. From all that swirl that we worry about, from our lusts, our needs, our pains, our griefs, even our loved ones, the people that we're called to be deeply committed to, the people that uh, we're called to serve, if they are something that is mixed in with, that God is among then that tangle is our isolation, it's our loneliness, it's our pain, it's our conflict, it's our grief, it's our sorrow. At the very, very best, if God is tangled among those things, at the very best we achieve emptiness and a sense of futility. How do we fix it, Timothy Keller Continues, he says, what can re-engineer our very inner being? The structure of our personality? What can create healthy human community? Worship and adoration of God. We must love God supremely. And that can be cultivated only through praise and through adoration. What he's suggesting is that when we separate God from among our gloves and our comforts and all these things that drive our attention, when we hallow him above all those things, when he sometimes answers that prayer by stripping our strengths away so that all we have left is to hallow him, our hearts are healed. Having ordered loves, having our creator at the center of our loves is the only thing that can heal us. Peace and love and joy in our relationships only occurs when our loves are rightly ordered. 
And so that's for us internally, but it is also something that is our mission. It is something in the world. The hallowing of his name reorders and transforms the world. Ultimately, the coming of his kingdom falls under that. The coming of his kingdom that we're going to talk about next week is something that exists. His kingdom comes so that he will be hallowed. So we're not just praying for us, we're praying that his name would be hallowed uh, by all humans uh, throughout the world, uh, through his sovereign revelation, through him revealing himself, through nature, uh, through uh, the stars, through our understanding of science. We want to see through all of that, to see his holiness, but then you and I as people who are learning to hallow him, then we go out to the earth and we disciple others. So we pray for his preeminence over creation to be seen here now in this world at a time when it seems like his fame is being decreased. We are the mechanism by which his fame is meant to increase as our lives become ordered. And this is how uh, we see Jesus living. And so we see Jesus teaching us this prayer, hallowed be thy name. And then we see how he acts to make that hallowing a reality. So we want to look at John chapter 14, 27 to 29. This is Jesus after the triumphal entry. He says this, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He knows he's about to suffer. He knows he's about to be whipped and torn and crucified and die and rise again. He knows all of the pain that's coming to him, the journey he has to go through for God's name to be hallowed in his life. He says, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Father, hallowed be thy name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there heard it and said, that it had thundered. So, for this purpose, you have come to prayer. For this purpose, you have been born. For this purpose, whether I've known it or not, uh, at moments in my ministry, OVV was planted. For this purpose, uh, Everything that you have exists for this purpose. All creation was made for this purpose. The universe exists to glorify his name. And when we hallow him like that, when we hallow him like that as a church, uh, if we bring that into our center, all of our decisions, uh, as we emerge from the pandemic, where we're going to meet, 
how we're going to meet, what kind of groups we're going to meet in, what our focuses are going to be, what our aims are going to be. All of those things will become clear if we as a community set as our primary purpose the goal of being people who hallow his name, who see his name hallowed in the whole earth. And so that is our challenge. That is my challenge. To lay down our loves, to lay down the good things, to lay down our ideologies, to lay down our emphases, to lay down everything and to put far above all of it his glorious name father I ask that you would help us we pray that you will engineer we pray this f with with actually with fear and trembling Would you engineer circumstances in our lives so that your name would be hallowed? So that we would be able to separate you from among our other loves and place you far above them. And we pray that you would use us. to be those who hallow your name in the earth. We place that above our careers. We place that above our businesses. We place that above all other affirmations. We place that above our education. We place that above school. We place that above uh, sports. We place that above every hobby. We place that above every entertainment. We place that above every false love, every idol, every sinful thing that we chase after, every lust. We place that above every brokenness. We place that above every wound. We place that about every sense of our victimhood, every sense of us being owed something. We place the hallowing of your name above every other name. And ask that in that you would order our lives rightly. Come, Lord Jesus. Show us our petty adorations. And fix our eyes on you. We're going to sing uh, the song Holy again and enter into it together. And as we do so, elevate his name above all your other loves. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.